You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic, holistic physician, best-selling author, international speaker, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. When we think about testosterone therapy, most of us think of performance enhancement. We visualize this huge bodybuilder or super athlete using it to build more power and muscle because it really works. But there's a lot of misconceptions about testosterone. As we age, testosterone levels decline in both men and women, and it sometimes sounds like the ultimate anti-aging formula. Let's find out more about testosterone from Dr. Charles Ryan. He is the best-selling author of The Virility Paradox, the vast influence testosterone has on our bodies, minds, and the world we live in. He is also the co-founder of the Supportive Therapy in Androgen Deprivation Program, which stands for STAND (laughs) at UCSF, a program which seeks to integrate physical activity, nutrition, and emotional support for men receiving hormonal therapy for prostate cancer and their partners. Great to have you here on Wellness for Life, Dr. Ryan. Hey, great to be here. Great. Now, first, can you tell us a little bit about your book, this new book you've got out, and what motivated you to write it? Yeah, so I'm a medical oncologist. I I treat uh, cancers in adults, and um, my focus for the last about 18 years has been on developing new therapies for men with prostate cancer. And the foundation for the treatment of uh, prostate cancer is the deprivation of testosterone, because testosterone is the chemical that really drives this disease forward. And what's, what's really interesting and tragic really from a, a cancer point of view is that even though we deplete testosterone in our patients, oftentimes uh, the, the system that is driven by testosterone will wake up and, and it will uh, not be suppressed to the extent that it needs to be to control the cancer. And that's ultimately why people die of prostate cancers, our failure to control this sort of... Um, rogue system uh, within our bodies or within their cancers uh, that, uh, that ultimately leads to their death. And that got me thinking about um, why it is that we have uh, such a powerful system uh, in our bodies. And it got me reading and talking and thinking about all of the effects that testosterone has, uh, not only on men, but on, on women and not only on our bodies, but on our brains and even really, to some extent, on our society. Uh, and so I started to think in the really big picture uh, about testosterone. And then the other, the other fact of the matter is that many men who I treat with prostate cancer, uh, when we take away their testosterone um, to levels that are about one-tenth of what the normal level should be for an adult, uh, they actually uh, they do have side effects. Many of them complain about a lot of things, and it can be very difficult for them. But sometimes I hear other stories that are a little bit paradoxical, and that's how the that's how the book got its title, which is that sometimes men find that living without testosterone is kind of a nice thing from the perspective of, um, of uh, calming their thoughts a little bit, calming some of their energies, um, and even uh, finding ways to discover uh, things like more empathy and sensitivity in them. And I found that very interesting, and I thought it would be an interesting uh, sort of series of stories to tell people about the interaction of testosterone and the world. You know, Doc, um, I've read somewhere where there's even a thought, a a, um, theory that testosterone may not have an ill effect on prostate, that it actually can be part of the uh, cure for prostate cancer. 
It, it, did you read that up too? Yeah, so I know what you're referring to. Um, and let me give you, a, let me go into a little bit of depth on that. So it's, it is, um, part of what you said is true. Part of what you said, I want to clarify. So Great. Um, Thank it's you. clear that testosterone, yeah, it is clear that testosterone uh, is not the cause of prostate cancer, but it is a driver of it. It is a fuel for it. And we've known this for 75, 80 years. And in fact, uh, three Nobel Prizes have been awarded for um, for therapies for prostate cancer, for the development of therapeutic approaches to prostate cancer that target the androgen receptor and androgens or testosterone-like molecules in the body. So while we do know that, what you refer to is yet another paradox about this system, which is that in certain circumstances, testosterone as a therapy could put the disease into a remission. It's not a cure for the disease, and it's not a treatment that I would advocate for anybody at this time outside of the context of a clinical trial because there's potential for testosterone, obviously, to wake up the cancer and potentially be sort of like a fuel on the fire for it. So I know that this has sort of crept out into the um, into the world of patients because it's very intriguing that uh, we could actually give testosterone and, and slow down a cancer. But I don't think we have enough evidence to say that that's the case yet. Uh, it is, however, interesting and worth studying. And, and, um, and I'm in communication with people who are doing those clinical trials. I should say that also one of the interesting points that, that um, underscores this uh, hypothesis is that if you take, uh, in certain circumstances, prostate cancer cells, let's say, and you grow them in a lab, and you grow them in a, in a setting where they have very little testosterone, they won't grow very much. But then when you add testosterone to the mix, the cells will start to grow. And if you keep adding testosterone, the cells will grow and grow and grow. But if you keep going up on more and more testosterone, ultimately, the cells will stop growing and actually may shrink away. Um, and so this is a, 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 an example of how um, overloading the system, if you will, uh, can, can uh, actually have a controlling effect on the cancer. But it is definitely not accurate to say that we can cure prostate cancer with testosterone. It may be a modestly effective treatment for some people, and we're still working out all those details. Thank you so much for that clarity, because that's super important to understand. And and when I read about it, I... I um, I know clearly about the hormonal effects, testosterone effects on uh, the prostate, and but I also was interested in the estrogenic effect of the prostate. Can you uh, just touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so that's something that we know a lot less about, but uh, certainly uh, there is uh, there's a lot of crosstalk, which is what we call it, between hormone systems, and um, and there are you know for just so your listeners know. When we talk about uh, testosterone and estrogen, and we're talking about uh, hormones that exist within a system, there are multiple uh, testosterone-like molecules and multiple estrogen-like molecules, and they bind to what are called receptors, estrogen receptors or androgen receptors, um, and we have these in the cancer cells, uh, but we also have androgen and estrogen receptors all over our body. So, for example, for, for men or for all of us, we have androgen receptors in our brains and in our muscle. And if you think about where testosterone works, it only works in places where there's a receptor there to receive it and do the work. Uh, and so uh, the muscles, the hair follicles, the, certainly the brain, different parts of the brain have different levels of testosterone, of androgen receptors. 
So anyway, in the cancer, uh, there are uh, uh, androgen receptors driven by testosterone, but there are also um, some estrogen molecules that may actually cross over, if you will, and and uh, activate the androgen receptor. And so this gets into a very complicated sort of web of hormones, and the actual term we use for it is promiscuity. The, the estrogen hormones will be promiscuous and will bind to the androgen receptor, and and, and things will go in other directions. And so one of the things that we do know is that blocking estrogen in prostate cancer can help in some circumstances. Now, the problem, and, and actually giving estrogen in, circum, in some circumstances has been useful and was used in, uh, decades ago. Uh, the problem is uh, is the specificity. We don't know exactly which type of estrogen and which type of estrogen receptor we should, we should block and... Um, and so it gets very complicated. But for the, um, you know, for the general listener or a prostate cancer patient or anybody who's interested in this topic, they should know that um, these hormones sort of talk to one another and they sort of cross over and do different things. Uh, but really, prostate cancer is mostly a testosterone story, whereas a breast cancer, of course, is an estrogen story. Right. Yes, of course. Thank you. Thank you. And so, um, you know, let's go into testosterone a little bit. And, you know, as we age, like I said in the intro, we definitely have lower levels. I'm someone at 55, I don't take any testosterone as in like injections or any type of creams or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I do mark, um, I do um, look at the biomarker because I know that my body does a bit better on a little bit more um, testosterone surge. So I, I use a precursor called DHEA. And I only take yeah. five milligrams of it, but it works for me. It, it's just a small dose, it, just enough so that I feel a little bit of extra surge. And at 55, I don't have a cycle, and, and I find that it really is helpful to maintain my skin, my muscles, bones, all those areas that you spoke about. So how do you feel about supplementation? Now, I know that you're an oncologist, but in general, for the, the general public who may not have um, you know, the problems of cancers, do you recommend testosterone therapy? Right. So your story is a very good example of, I think, the diversity of responses that we see uh, with supplementation. And I will just state that I I don't have a position uh, in favor or against in general. I, I think that uh, supplementation can be great for some people uh, and uh, not so great for others and, and obviously potentially harmful for some. So it's all like any medicine or like any medical condition is something that needs to be individualized and uh, and considered in the full context of a of an individual and their their healthcare provider. Um, so I I think that um, uh, supplementation um, can uh, really make people obviously feel better. It can boost libido. It can help in uh, retaining muscle tone. It may help in uh, helping to retain uh, bone uh, strength as we age. Um, but many of the um, highly enthusiastic proponents of supplementation are, you know, are coming from individuals who uh, have had, who, who are uh, uh, having a good response to it, let's say, or, or are, uh, are in favor of it because their biology, their individual um, body is more receptive to the supplementation. Um, I, I have used actually testosterone supplementation in my practice on some occasions. It's pretty rare to do that as an oncologist, but occasionally I'll have a patient who is cured of their cancer and their testosterone remains low and we want to 
supplement that and they want to be monitored by me. And I actually write about one of those patients in the book. But, um, but uh, you know, um, there, as I begin to think about this science, what you realize is that I just talked about the antigen receptor. And the reality is the antigen receptor uh, is highly variable. Um, some of us have very active antigen receptors that, you know, can be highly stimulated even with a little bit of testosterone. And others of us have kind of slowly active androgen receptors, and maybe taking more testosterone isn't the right, isn't going to help them. Um, so there's this kind of full spectrum upon which we all live. So the studies that have been done in testosterone supplementation have been a little bit mixed. What they have generally shown, and these have been older men with low levels of testosterone who uh, were treated with testosterone supplementation for one year or a placebo. And what they found was that the people who got the, the testosterone supplementation, in the beginning, they had more energy, a little bit less fatigue, and they had more libido. Um, and, um, and that was good. But by the end of one year, the two groups had pretty much come back to, um, to kind of their baseline. In other words, there wasn't much of a difference in terms of a measure they called vitality between the two groups. And vitality is it was a word that was used uh, in response to the results of a questionnaire about people's energy and people's, you know, um, desire to go do things and, and uh, enjoy life and things like that. And it didn't really boost um, the vitality of these individuals all that much. So my take on that is that it says that we're not going to prescribe testosterone for all people um, because it may only help some. Um, but I suspect and think that within that group, um, there were some who had quite a great benefit from it. And I know that there are many men out there who really swear by testosterone supplementation as something that works for them. And as long as they're doing it safely and as long as they're not um, running into behavioral issues or stimulating prostate cancer or some of the other things that can happen, um, I'm, I'm not uh, opposed to them doing it. Well, let's talk about some of the other parts and not, not down the below, but above, which is your head. A lot of hair problems yeah. happen. Isn't that right? Yeah. So I have a chapter. Uh, chapter seven, the alopecia hair. paradox. <laughs> I, yeah. By the way, yeah. thanks so much, Dr. Ryan, for the, the copy of your book. I so appreciate it. But on chapter seven, you talk about the alopecia paradox. Yeah. So the alopecia paradox is that uh, testosterone, there's really two. Uh, testosterone will actually promote hair loss on the top of the head and hair growth on the face. And so a typical, you know, think about how many men we know who are bald and have beards. Uh, and, um, and that's both, those are both the effects of, uh, of testosterone. And, um, one of the, uh, 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 interesting components of this is that there are actual genes, of course, that drive the development of baldness in men. And the, one of the genes that's associated with baldness or hair loss uh, in aging men is very closely linked to the androgen receptor gene. So what that means is that in our chromosomes, um, our genes all have a specific you know, location on an X chromosome or chromosome 12 or something like that. And there is, uh, the androgen receptor is on the X chromosome, and there is a gene close by um, uh, that uh, drives baldness. And the term that geneticists use is linkage equi disequilibrium, meaning that through the course of evolution, these two genes have stuck together. They, our chromosomes break up and, and, and our genes are swapped around and all of this other stuff. But these two genes have stayed together. And so the 
stimulation by the of the anadrenergic receptor can also stimulate this baldness gene. And that's a really interesting piece of genetics that was just discovered in the past uh, few years and explains why um, chronic stimulation with androgens or testosterone may lead to baldness in some people. Now, the flip side of this and the other sort of paradox is that many men who uh, experience hair loss can take a, a, a blocking drug. There's one called finasteride or Propecia, widely known about. And this is a drug that manipulates testosterone. It actually blocks the conversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone in the scalp. And, um, and so it can prevent that chronic stimulation from testosterone in the skin of the scalp and prevent, therefore, the loss of hair or delay it. But now well, some of these guys who take this, some of these guys who take this have, um, uh, have a lot of um, uh, psychological effects from this. And it's almost like the same types of psychological effects that men receiving hormonal therapy for prostate cancer experience. But these are typically younger men. And so I profile some of them in the book who really had a struggle uh, with uh, this drug for hair loss. And there's actually a foundation out there and a newsletter and people who are kind of banded together trying to get Propecia to, to have uh, regula regulations on its use. And now there actually are some statements on the Propecia uh, drug label saying that it can cause some irreversible um, uh, psychological effects. What specifically are you talking about? What kind of specific psychological effects should people look out right, for? Right, so depression, um, depression, um, moodiness, uh, even anger, uh, and also sexual dysfunction. Um, and, you know, we don't know exactly uh, if this is people who maybe we're going to have these problems anyway, and, you know, maybe they're blaming the Propecia for this problem. That's certainly um, a criticism that has been, uh, that is, that has been argued about. Uh, but I talked to some of these people, I talked to several of them, and I came to realize that these are people whose lives were altered uh, by this medication. And I can see the biology of it a little bit, that these may be men who have a different set point in terms of their response to testosterone, uh, and that when we manipulate that, we can cause some problems in men. So I'm not saying people shouldn't take Propecia, but they should be wary of these um, symptoms. And if any of them develop, uh, they should certainly stop it. But I personally wouldn't take Propecia uh, based on what I have learned about this system uh, and, and the men that I spoke to. Well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, do women have the same problem of this baldness uh, paradox through the same biochemical testosterone to DHT conversion? As far as we know, yes, it's the same. It's essentially the same mechanism. Now, um, I should say that this is this is one mechanism of hair loss. It's not the only mechanism of hair loss. Uh, and, um, and that if somebody is listening and they're experiencing hair loss, they should talk to their doctor about it because um, uh, this is only one sort of uh, uh, mechanism by which this could be happening. But yeah, you know, uh, alopecia in women is a, is, a, is a big problem. And I think it's probably uh, may even have the, the loss of hair in women may be more difficult for women than it is for men because for many men, they know it's going to happen because they look at their fathers or their mother's father or their family and they see everybody being bald and, uh, and it's something that's just more expected. Um, I write about in my own family, my father uh, was bald, uh, lost most of his hair, even from when he was a young man. And, and uh, my brother did as well. And I have only a little bit of thinning. And I thought that was a little bit of a paradox too, which is that we, call, we think it's very genetic, but it's actually probably... Uh, genetic and other factors as well. 
Wow, gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, um, I know the industry of hair loss is huge. Uh, if you've ever gone to any yeah. aesthetic medicine conferences, A4M conference, there are so many booths out there trying to enhance hair growth through lasers, through um, pills, through uh, shampoos and all that. And for women, my goodness, they've got wigs and hair pieces. And I can't tell who's yep. wearing a wig and hair piece these days because they look so good, you know? So yeah, and learning I think that's, more. A, that's a really good point. I would hope that, uh, that the hair loss industry um, finds many uh, new ways to treat baldness and, 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 and veers away from manipulating of hormones. Because when you think about it, manipulating your hormones systemically to control hair loss is a pretty big uh, deal. And, um, and it would be nice if we could just do this with shampoos or lasers or something, uh, something a little bit less potentially toxic. Uh, you know, I, I quote in the book, uh, Bill Gates, who of course is now the world's greatest philanthropist, I think, um, uh, when he was talking about funding for AIDS research a couple of years ago, uh, pointed out that, that Americans spend more money on hair loss research, hair loss and hair loss research than we did on AIDS research at the time. <laughs> so it's oh, a big industry. It, no kidding. I mean, aesthetic, aesthetic medicine is truly uh, just mind blowing. If anyone's, like I said, gone to any of the, the conferences for uh, the medical doctors and holistic practitioners like myself, it's really amazing. Totally amazing. So interesting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, you know, if whatever works, as long as it doesn't cause damage, you know what I mean? It, it's it's important. My husband has a huge full head of hair at 71. Incredible. I'm, I'm always blown away by it. And at, at the same time, um, though, as because he's 71, his hormone levels have shifted a little bit. And you mentioned the paradox um, because he's definitely calmer and. Um, more lovey-dovey, you know, and and not as uh, I don't want how do I say not, not that he was ever macho, right? But yeah. um, you can tell yeah. that he softened around the edges, and you, that's one paradox yeah. that you mention in the book. Right. So I, I thank you for bringing that up because this is uh, this is um, a key part of what I have observed in my work, which is that you know obviously. You know, I don't want anybody to have prostate cancer, and I don't. I'm not enthusiastic about taking away testosterone. But but sometimes uh, what we see in in individuals is a calmness that comes over them, and it led me to think uh, that you know, for take your husband for example, for older men, if you look at the graphs of testosterone levels, they begin to go down at about the age of 30 or 35. So we, you know, we men. Um, we reach a reproductive peak, right, where our testosterone levels are sort of there, and then they begin to decline. So by the time you get to 71, frequently the testosterone level may be, you know, one-third of where it was at the age of 30 or even less. And, and so the question is this. For an older man like your husband, whose testosterone level is one-third of what it is, is that low testosterone level a disease? Is that a medical condition? Or is that just how we age? Is that just with the way we're supposed to be? And when you think about it in terms of a society, you know, that's kind of what we want our older men to do. We want them to be happy and healthy and vigorous and energetic for sure. But, you know, what you point out is the being more loving, being more empathetic, being, uh, you know, a, a little uh, less um, uh, aggressive and things like that. That's kind of a good thing in society. And again, I'm not saying this is all due to testosterone. But it, it, it made me, it's one of the things that made me reflective 
on the low testosterone that we see in my patients and their behaviors, and with some of which are enhanced and, and improved, I think they would argue, some of them, uh, and, and, and what aging is all supposed to be about. Well, and that's actually, I know that... Another, uh, let me just say, that's actually another paradox, which is that as men get older and their testosterone goes down, their risk of prostate cancer goes up. But that's because of the lifelong chronic stimulation from testosterone that many of them have experienced. Right. Absolutely. I know. I mean, with my husband, he is he is to me still like he's a 50 year old man. Every part of him functions perfectly. You know, he goes sleeps right through the night. No problems with his urination. I know he's probably thinking, what are you talking about on your radio show? So much about me, honey. But um, but he's fully functioning in, in every way. Um, you know, so I know that, uh, of course, he has my help with all the supplements we're taking. And I want to keep him as, as youthful as he can as he we both uh, go through the ages together. But again, um, I really do enjoy the calmness about him and his less reactivity. He's not as reactive. You know how men can be very like, boom, it's like they are, uh, you know, wants to get to the solutions and, and tell you what to do and blah, blah, blah. Well, it doesn't happen as much anymore. And so it's really nice. I want to thank you so much. Right. Thanks again, Dr. Ryan, your book, uh, the virility paradox, it's available everywhere out there. It's excellent. Please read it again. Thank you so much for having us have you um being on our show i just wanted to clarify the website can uh, can they can they just get your book on amazon yeah it's available on amazon they can get it through the ben bella website which is ben bella is the publisher b-e-n-b-e-l-l-a uh and it's at bookstores i know it's on the shelves at barnes and noble and other bookstores uh, and hopefully your your local independent bookstore as well Yes, thank you for what you've done here and big success. Um, I really appreciate everything that you're doing and, and, and into your future. Thank you, Dr. And we'll, I'd love to have you back to maybe even just talk about prostate cancer because um, it's such a, you know, the number one uh, disease, obviously, uh, that men um, die from. So I hope I can have you on the show for that. Yeah, that's my life's work after all. So yes. take care and thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Gosh, great information. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. And if you've learned something new that will help you reach ultimate wellness, please share this with uh, the show with your friends and family members and go to iTunes and give us a, a some, some of your feedback. It would be awesome to get your support. Do connect with me on Instagram or Facebook. And if you need any guidance and want to dig deeper into your chronic health issues, I do phone consults, Skype consultations with people all around the world. So you can go to my website, drsuzanne.com for my contact info. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.